You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning to all of you. If you're new to Highland or new to Waco, welcome. So glad that you're here today with us and glad you're in the city with us also. If you're a college freshman, we hope to see you a whole lot this next four or five or six years, however long you decide to to stick around for for college. I grew up, like many of you, watching Sesame Street. And one of my favorite little segments of Sesame Street was that little game they would play, which of these is not like the other. So Sesame Street would throw up, you know, some pictures on the screen, and you'd have to kind of determine which one of these does not belong. So I figured this would be a great way for us to start a brand new semester by playing together, which one of these is not like the other, which one of these does not belong. So let me put a set of pictures up here on the screen. Kind of look at this. We've got Virginia, Yukon, Gators, Baylor, UT, and, and Duke. So let's, let's see which one does not belong. That is exactly right. Because UT has never won a men's basketball national championship before, so they're not up there. Horns down. And what about uh, this set of pictures right up here? So um, we got five great-looking guys there. Let me just tell you to choose wisely before you decide which one you'd like to, uh, to X out. So let's see which one does not belong. Exactly, Chris Hemsworth does not. He has small arms, so poor Thor. So let's look at the, uh, the next one real quick up here on the screen. We've got some animals. Hmm, man, this is a tough one here. Let's see which one does not belong. That's exactly right. Because all the other ones do go to heaven. So that's what we see up there. So we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the reason we played that little game is because if you line up the 66 books of the Bible next to one another, it almost seems like one of them does not belong. And that'd be the book of Ecclesiastes. It's very different than every other book in, in the Bible. Why is that? Well, most books in the Bible are portraits of God. But in Ecclesiastes, it's really just his silhouette. It's like God's in the background of every, every page, every, every verse here in the book of Ecclesiastes. You, you find him when you see the wisdom of life. You find him in the book of Ecclesiastes as we study the wisdom that he has given to us. Let me give you kind of three points of wisdom that we will see this fall semester as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes together. The first is this, you are not in control. Uh, We've learned that the past 17 months. We're not in control of what happens to us and people around us. We're not in control of the things that are happening in this world. So that's a point of wisdom that we will see in the book of Ecclesiastes. Secondly, that life is short and death is real. I mean, this book deals very heavily with real topics and true topics and life and death questions. Thirdly, one of the wisdoms that we will see in the book of Ecclesiastes, that difficult questions can give us, they do give us true but often difficult answers. So as we study this book together, we're just going to go verse by verse through this book this fall semester, the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll see some big questions that probably a lot of us have, but see some big answers as well. So let me give you an appraisal right up front. Ecclesiastes is a difficult book. It's a difficult book, but life is also a difficult thing. And so we'll see a lot of difficult things here in this book. It's like philosophy and morality and ethics and theology all wrapped up into one, in this one book. In this book, it'll provoke you. Let me just warn you there also. This book will provoke you. Like a friend that you might have that asks you very honest questions that you need to be asked, 
That's kind of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's going to ask us some really difficult questions. So it's a difficult book, um, but difficult doesn't mean bad. Difficult is just difficult. And so we're going to walk through this book together. It's going to grow us up. It'll help us to navigate life. It'll help us to consider what is true in life, what is real in life, what is authentic in life, what's most important in life. So it's a rough book. It's a challenging book, but it's a needful book. Uh, a few years ago, Pastor Jared, he was the guy that was playing guitar this morning, our worship leader here at the front. He and I went and climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, all 19,341 feet of it. In fact, here's a, here's a picture right here that we have. Well, actually, that's the lion we had to kill with our bare hands before we climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro, but that's a very boring story. So here's actually the story of, of the picture of Kilimanjaro. Before we climbed those 19,341 feet, we had to train. And we trained for several months, a lot of, of lunges, gym lunges with 70-pound dumbbells going back and forth across the gym floor. We would, would do squats. We would do Stairmaster, all kind of getting us ready for this trip. Let me just tell you, it stunk. The, the training hurt. It was no fun at all, but it was a needful thing for us to do in order to, to conquer the mountain. So the book of Ecclesiastes is a little bit like gym lengths of 70-pound dumbbell lunges, and it's a little bit like squats and Stairmaster all wrapped up into one, which means I may not see some of you for three months, but it is a difficult book to, to walk through. But we walk through this book so that we can navigate life, so that we can conquer the mountains that certainly are in front of, of each of us. It was written by Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes, about a thousand years before the coming of Christ. There's great philosophy there. In fact, this is long before Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, before those Greek greats were philosophizing. Solomon was already writing and had written this book. He's the second wisest man in the Bible after Jesus, but he had an advantage since he was God. So really, Solomon was the wisest man really of all time. He's the salutatorian, if you will, of, of Scripture. So his book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers questions like, where did we come from? Where's all this headed? Why, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? You know, some light questions like that. So let me give you a high altitude theme of Ecclesiastes, then we'll jump in. Here's the high altitude theme. A life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control eventually leaves us empty. Uh, this is why a lot of people exist every day to try to get more control. A lot of people wake up in the morning pursuing pleasure or pursuing some kind of achievement or some kind of success. But here's the rest of the story of Ecclesiastes. Actually, life is a gift, not just a chase for gain. And often, you can hear around us every day. You can see it on social media every day, see it on TV every day. That People here in our nation, people around the world, certainly here in the West, they're longing for and striving for and pursuing with all their energy, all their time, all their might, pleasure, achievement, control, controlling their own lives or controlling the lives of people around them. So everything really does matter. Everything matters. Everything that God allows us to see, allows us to experience, everything God gives us, these things all matter because all of them serve to grow us, to deepen us in Christ. So with your copy of God's word, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one. Let's start this process today. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one. If you're relatively new to church or new to the Bible, 
The book of Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. There's a chunk of about six books right there in the middle of your Bible. So if you open your Bible right in the middle, you should be somewhere around Job or Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Those are all right there in the middle. So if you're a copy of God's Word or your smartphone, your device you have with you today, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. This is where we'll be this morning. This is where we'll be this fall semester. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So let's stop right there. This description would only fit Solomon. Uh, he was the only son of David who was also the king. And if you need a little bit more um, um, understanding of, of that, uh, or believing that that is who wrote this book, you can jump down to verse 12. It's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible. I, the preacher, Ecclesiastes 1.12, I, the preacher, I have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So this is Solomon. He calls himself, interestingly enough, here the preacher, which doesn't necessarily mean someone who, who oversees a church or preaches in a church or gives leadership to a church or serves a church. It means in Hebrew, one who gathers, uh, one who gathers listeners. And so he understands that people will be listening to these words that, that he wrote. So this description only fits Solomon. And I'm going to call Solomon this entire semester the wisest of all fools. Because he was unbelievably wise when you can look at intellect and discernment, but unbelievably believably foolish in the way that he chose to live his life. I mean, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And, and you think your Thanksgiving dinner is awkward. Can you just imagine like all these, these wives, all these concubines, plus all the, the kids that go along with them as well. He could eat three meals a day with a different wife or a different concubine and still take him all year long to meet them all or to see them all. So we're going to learn today and this semester not only from the wisdom of Solomon, but also from the foolishness of Solomon as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. This will probably be the most familiar sounding passage to you uh, of all of this book. Verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is Vanity. You're probably picking up on a theme there in, in verse 2. Your Bible might use the word vanity. If you have the NIV, it might use the word meaninglessness there. Your Bible might use the word futility there. Your Bible might use the word empty there. It is a key word in the book of Ecclesiastes. 38 times we will see this word used. In Hebrew, it's the word habel. And habel in Hebrew means like a, a, a morning fog or a mist. It means a breath. Yesterday, I was at the uh, college fair on Baylor campus meeting a lot of the freshmen. And uh, I've noticed this the last several years. There's so many freshmen coming in that don't come from Texas. They're from California. They're from Colorado. I met a lot of people from North Carolina. But there was a state that I kept hearing over and over again yesterday. And it was the state of Minnesota. Minnesota. Don't you know? Right? So I heard that, that state a whole lot yesterday. And, and if you're from Minnesota or from somewhere up north, you understand this. There, you can breathe out in your cold climates and, and you can see your breath. If you're from Houston, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. If you're able to kind of breathe out and, and see your breath, just think how short that, that breath is. You see it for a few moments, just a half of a second, then it's gone. That's habel in, in Hebrew. It's something that is fleeting. It's something that is temporary. It's something that's not going to last very long. James talks about it in James chapter 4, verse 14. He said, life is like a morning mist. It's here and it's, and it's gone. Now, the Bible is not saying here in verse 2 that life has no value. It is saying that life has fleeting value. Like there's life, there's value in your life today, but there may not be life tomorrow. It may be gone tomorrow. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse three. Let's read a big chunk of this. 
What does man gain by all the toil that which he toils under the sun? That's a very key phrase. If you're okay with writing in your Bible, you can underline that phrase, under the sun. Your Bible might translate that under heaven or under heavens, plural. Very key phrase. What does man gain by all the toil, all the work at which he toils, at which he works under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. It's very interesting that the psalm is saying here, we begin back in verse 3 if you want to, what do we get for all of our hard work? Like we work hard, we toil hard, we study hard, but do things really change? Is there really hope? And again, we see that in verse 3, that little phrase there, under the sun. That also, if vanity is the key word of Ecclesiastes, under the sun is the key phrase of Ecclesiastes. We're going to see that phrase 29 times in just this book alone of Ecclesiastes. What does it mean under the sun or under heaven or under the heavens? This is really important for you to understand. Or Ecclesiastes will be just one big book of depression for you. Under the sun means life without connection to God. It is Solomon's way of saying, or an Old Testament way of saying, or a Hebraic way of saying, I am separated from God. He is the one who is above the sun. I'm just living here on earth without him. I'm living under the sun. So this is life without connection to God, a life separate from God, just living life on your own without even acknowledging that there is a God, without even reference to him. It's a non-Christian worldview. You see life as the world sees it, not as God sees it. That's why we see all throughout this book that the psalm is just struggling. He says there's no, no meaning to his life at all. There's nothingness to his life because he was living under the sun. He was living a life disconnected from God. Then he calls forth these four witnesses, if you will, earth, wind, sun, and water. Almost the R&B group from the 1970s. Earth, wind, sun, and water. We see in verse 4 that the earth just remains forever. We work hard, we work hard, and the earth just stays put. Verse 5, it says the sun rises and then it sets and then it returns and then it rises and it sets and it returns. It's just monotonous in its repetition. Verse 6 says the winds blow and then they return. They go south and they come back north. They're on this circuit just circulating around the world. Verse 7 says the water, the, the rivers just go into the sea, but the sea never fills up. It's never full. It's never finished. It's never complete. So Solomon is saying here that creation is constantly in motion, yet nothing is permanently accomplished. For you scientist type, and I am not one of you at all, but if you love science, really what Solomon is talking about here is global circulation. About 2,800 years before scientists began to study it, before Charles Hadley even began to understand the, the circulation of winds and the Gulf Streams around the world. He didn't even discover that, if you will, until 1785. And here is Solomon already talking about the circulations of the wind around the world. So he sees all this activity of creation. He sees the busyness of creation, yet there's no change. There's no success. Nothing permanently is accomplished. And so if you're taking notes, here's point number one from this passage. A busy life doesn't truly fulfill us. And that's the aim of a lot of people. One of my favorite questions to ask is, how, you're, how are you doing? How is life? One of my least favorite responses is, busy. Mm, I'm just, I'm busy, busy, 
busy. And I always want to say, that doesn't make you important, important, important. I mean, it's, it's like this rat race. It's like we're inside one of those hamster wheels. It's like, how busy can I get? If I can get busier than I am busy right now, maybe I'll feel more satisfaction in life, but a busy life doesn't truly fulfill us. Have you noticed that once you wash clothes, the dirty hamper is full again? Have you noticed when you wash dishes, you go back to the sink and all of a sudden there's dirty dishes all in it again? Have you noticed that when you, you pay your bills, that the brand new bill arrives the very next day, so it seems? College students, you'll learn this very quickly. You'll take a test, and guess what? There's another one tomorrow. Just because you're busy, busy does not mean that you're satisfied with life. A busy life doesn't truly fulfill us. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8. Let's look at the next passage, the next verse. All things are full of weariness. A man can't even utter what he's saying here. He can't even talk about it. I'm even too weary to talk about it. All things are just so weary, so tiresome. A man cannot even utter it. The eye is not even satisfied with what we see. The ear is not satisfied or filled up with what we hear. I mean, verse 8 is so true of our nation. It's so true of so many of us. We have this insatiable appetite. Nothing truly pleases us, and so we try to find something else that might please us, or we keep doing the same thing in greater volume. If I can just do more and more and more of this, maybe I'll finally be happy. Maybe I won't be so weary. And Solomon, he would know. I mean, he had all the money anyone could ever want in this room. He had wealth unimaginable, yet he was not satisfied. He, he had wisdom. I mean, wisdom in spades. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon and says, what would you like? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God said, because you gave that answer, I'll give you wisdom and wealth and honor, and prestige, and possessions, and authority. So Solomon has it all. He has the wisdom, he has the intellect, and yet he was not satisfied. He had sexual intimacy with a thousand ladies, not satisfied. He had possessions, and homes, and palaces, and things, yet he was not satisfied. He had power, he was not satisfied. He was the king, and he was not satisfied. So point number two from this passage, the world's pleasures can't truly fulfill us. And there's a lot of people in America that wake up Monday morning and go, what can I find today that will please me? They go into the weekend thinking, what is going to happen this weekend that will bring me pleasure? And they just exist for that day after day, weekend after weekend, event after event, season after season, but the world's pleasures can't truly fulfill us. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new. Here's our phrase again. Under the sun. There's nothing new happening under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, it's new. It's it's been already. In the ages before us, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things or later things yet to be among those who come after. What is that saying here in verse 9, verse 10, verse 11? Here it is. There's nothing really new and nothing will really be remembered. This is why some people read this book and go, how depressing. Because it's a reminder right here, we're not going to be remembered. You probably don't know the names of your great-great-grandparents or where they lived or what they did just 125 years ago. Let's put the shoe on you. Your great-great-grandchildren won't know you or your name or what you did or your accomplishments. They don't even know that you were here this morning. 
We're, we're not remembered people. We're not memorable people. You know, who won the Super Bowl in 2000? I mean, who won the, the 1987 NBA championship? Who won the, the, the MVP of the NBA in 1999? We, you don't know. The Rams, the Lakers, and Carl Malone. But I had to bing it and look at ESPN. I would have never remembered that at, at all. I mean, we don't remember world champions 20 years later. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 is reminding us that fame and glory are not lasting. So if your aim this year, your aim this semester is to be famous, to be glorious, to gain as much fame, as much glory as you can, you just need to understand from this wise man here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, your fame and your glory are not lasting. Only the glory and fame of God will last forever. So thirdly, our greatest achievements won't truly fulfill us. Our greatest achievements won't truly fulfill us. I hope you heard that testimony this morning of of Yossi. I mean, this was the national player of the year in volleyball in our nation last year. She is an all-American volleyball player. Did you hear what she said? None of that mattered. None of that mattered. So we see here that the world's, or our greatest achievements won't fulfill us. The sound you hear right now, outside of a crying baby, the sound you hear right now is the crashing of the American dream. When we think, man, all I live for in America is just to get more things, do more things, achieve more things, our greatest achievements won't fulfill us. Let me give you two takeaways. This is old Solomon. Most theologians who are smarter than I, which is actually every one of them, say that this is Solomon's probably his deathbed, if you will, letter. He's at the end of his life. He's surveying his life. He's passing down to the next generation to all of us here today some wisdom. Let me give you two things, two takeaways. Here's number one. If we live our life disconnected from God, this life is meaningless. If you live under the sun, meaning you're just living for this world and just living in this world, then life will be hollow to you. If you're going to choose this semester to be disconnected from God, your life will have no meaning. There'll be a nothingness to it. It'll be just your life chasing after the wind. Life apart from God is simply a life of nothingness. So this is an old man writing college freshmen. This is a dying man writing high school freshmen. And saying, if you just live your life under the sun, disconnected from God, there is a meaninglessness to your life. Here's the second takeaway, and I'm done. Our souls are parched. And only God can satisfy our deepest need. Our souls are so thirsty. It's why some of you, if I can say this with a lot of love, you wake up just saying, I hope something today will fill my life. And our souls get so weary of searching for things that will not satisfy. A thirsty soul will desperately look for satisfaction. Let me give you a word that I hope will bless every one of you, especially as you're headed maybe into a brand new semester, a brand new year of college, or a brand new season for you. Nothing rivals life in the presence of God. Don't live under the sun, disconnected from him. This God, you can know him through his son, Jesus Christ. You can turn from the world and turn to Jesus and find life that will last forever. And your deepest need, your greatest need can be met. What is your greatest need? Your deepest need to be loved and to be known. And consider this, the God of heaven and earth who created all things, including you, desires to know you, and to love you through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, everything matters. 
Some things in life matter very little. Some things in life matter a whole lot. But what we're going to see in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see what matters the most. And I hope you'll join us this semester on this journey through this deep, great, difficult, challenging book. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the joy of your word, the authority of your word, the power of your word. We are up for the challenge. God, we have deep questions. I thank you that your word gives us deep answers and true answers. We've searched the world and we've been lied to over and over again. We've gone from place to place, person to person, thing to thing, event to event. And our souls were still parched. So God, we're going to run to you through your son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit and find meaning to life, satisfaction in life, fulfillment in life. It's only through Christ that we can know this God who has all wisdom. There's nothing meaningless, nothing vain in the kingdom of God. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we sing this next song, I have, a, I have a challenge for you. It's a challenge of spiritual movement in all of your hearts here today. Can I challenge you, even during this next song, as you sing this song, to move from God, help me in this life, to God, this is my life. Here's my life. There's a big difference. This is cultural Christianity. God, when life is good, I don't really need you. I don't acknowledge you. I'll just live under the sun, disconnected from you. But when bad things happen or tough things happen or when the cancer report comes in, God, would you just help me with my life? That's cultural Christianity. I would encourage all of us today to move from that type of Christianity to biblical Christianity, which is this. God, this is my life. Here it is for you. The great times, the horrible times, the times of sadness, the times of great joy. Here is my life. God, here's my heart. Take it. Seal it for your courts. So I'm going to challenge you during this next song to make this not just a song, but to make it a desperate plea. Lord, I need you. How desperately I need you. Some of you in that desperation may want to come and just kneel here at the front. That's a posture of desperation. Some of you are caught right in between some rows. You have to step on toes and step on people trying to get out. Maybe you just want to turn where you are and just kneel right here on this gym floor. It is very uncomfortable, but it is a place of surrender. What if we all moved from God help me with this life to God, here's my life. How desperate we need to be for his presence. Let's sing together.